This episode is brought to you by ShippingEasy.com. They're an online shipping software that pulls orders from your cart, prints shipping labels, and notifies your customers when the order is shipped. So if you're looking for something to kind of automate all your orders, either from Amazon, Etsy, your own store, other marketplaces, uh, ShippingEasy is a great solution to use. It's the solution that actually Travis uses for his store, BeatAnswer.com, and they're giving all listeners of the Build My Online Store podcast a free 90-day trial. So check them out at ShippingEasy.com slash build. That's ShippingEasy.com slash build. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the last episode of 2015. I'm Tara Lin, co-host Travis Marziani here. Today we're going to talk about uh, kind of the metrics that you should audit every year for your store. As the year wraps up, uh, it's kind of good to take a look at where you've been this whole year and where you want to go next year. So, Travis, what's going on? Uh, some great news. I think I talked about in the last episode that I had some certain goals set for the profit of my company, um, which basically if I hit these profitable goals, it would be it would make me achieve the daily income, the quote unquote passive daily income that I've wanted since like I quit my job two and a half years ago. And this month, we're recording this on the 30th. And by the end, by tomorrow, I'm 100% sure that I'll have hit this goal for this month. So I'm celebrating in about three days. I'm going down to Nicaragua, going to surf, do some yoga. I have a buddy that owns a hostel down there and just relax for a few weeks. So I'm excited about that. Nice. So it took you two and a half years to get here. That's about like, what, seven... 800 days or so, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that being said, I mean, there's some caveats, you know, I don't know for sure that next month will be the same kind of success. I hope so. And it seems like it's going in that direction. Uh, but there's still that fear in the back of my head that maybe next month we'll have a bad month and I won't hit my goal, my daily income goal for that month or, you know, or maybe it won't, maybe it'll actually keep increasing, but yeah, it took me a little while. And that being said, I was traveling and I wasn't working as hard as maybe I should have all the time. But these last six months, I've like really just been grinding it. So it's good to finally be here. Nice. Well, congrats. I hope it keeps up. And uh, yeah, you know, and if it doesn't, you, know, you just, you know, you've been there. You can always push back, push things back. Uh, that, yeah, exactly. And that was one of the big things. Uh, I was talking with some people in a mastermind that I have and it was, you know, I was telling them like, look, well, our business is making a lot of money and revenue, but we're not profitable yet. And they're like, oh, you know, I don't know if you're, you know, is it going to be hard to become profitable? But then I realized I'm like, no, because like I've already done the hard work. I've already got the clients and now I've got emails and I can do email marketing. And now I know that this concept works. It's like, how can I shave off some expenses? How can I make it so the profitability increases? So to answer the, the question, I think, yeah, even if in January it's like, oh, things take a dip. It's like, nah, I know I can fix it. Yeah. It's not like you're like a Silicon Valley company that's burning, you know, a hundred thousand every month just to like grow too. So it's a little more different business model, I guess too. Yeah, all right, so for me, uh, I've been cleaning up my finances. Uh, next year, I wanna be really good with my expenses and my accounting. So uh, I've used this software called Wave. I know you use Xero. Uh, Wave is just kinda like, is I can invoice a little bit easier on that too. So basically, I linked up all my PayPal's, bank accounts, uh, expenses, even I think in Uber now, if you use Uber a lot, depending where you live, uh, you can tag it as a business expense now and you can add memos and expense codes to your rides now, so I just want to be really diligent with that because uh, I think I told you Phil Hogden, uh, shout out to Phil at DC Bank. I was like, well, you know, if you make, if you have a hundred dollar expense, you don't report it right, you're paying really fifteen percent more uh, every year, and that kind of adds up uh, over the course of twelve months. So I want to really be kind of clean with that uh, going forward. So, do you not have a separate credit card for business expenses? Uh, I have a separate LLC bank account, but not. Uh, credit card because I guess the bank I can't get a debit card for some reason with Schwab is really dumb uh, so I just have to run it on my personal and then like expense that 
down the line, which probably isn't the best way to go. But yeah. looking looking into like some business card business credit cards to so just keep it separate too, because that can bite me in the ass later. Yeah, so. I mean, I I use like a Chase Spark like two percent cash back plug to them, I guess, um, for all my business expenses. Yeah. All my business expenses. And then I, you know, have a different credit card for all my personal stuff. Uh, part of the reason I did that too, is because I wanted the rewards. Cause with the, the smart card, it's like, Oh, $400 for signing up. And then my personal one, it was like $500 for signing up. And then, uh, it makes it so much easier. Cause it's like when, when you were talking about Phil's thing of like, Oh, don't lose a transaction. I'm like, that's impossible for me because I know if it's on this card, it's business. And I know if it's on this other card, it's personal. So it's like, I'll never lose it. You yeah, know? That's the one thing that's kind of pissing me off. Like I opened the account before I knew you, they don't have debit cards for LLCs for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, but it seems like every other bank does. I don't know. If it's can't, just, can't you just get a credit card? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm looking into right now, oh, okay. essentially. So uh, we'll see how that goes. So, I never use my debit card for business stuff. It's just why there's no points. Yeah, if you pay it off like right hassle. away, you're gonna reward, get the reward points. You might as well just run it on the card too. Yeah. All right, cool. And uh, last thing, I guess Mastermind's open again. Uh, you guys, you're running this. Yeah. So uh, basically, I'm opening up the Mastermind again. It's been open, but I want to promote it again because I want to start some more groups. And I know there's been a couple people e- emailing me about interest and interest in the Mastermind and the current group we have is absolutely awesome. So shout out to everyone that's in the the current Build My Online store mastermind. And pretty much everyone is coming back for the next round because we kind of do it in three months chunks. But this has been one of my favorite masterminds that I've run. And it's like everyone is just uh, really happy to do it. So start at the new year. If you're looking to get into mastermind, which is by far the best ROI you can spend on your business, I think we have the application page up and just go there. send you know send me an email whatever's best yeah cool all right so i guess let's get started then uh, kind of a long episode ahead of us uh kind of metrics to audit for the year end so first one uh, i put email list um so what happens is uh an email list can get kind of stale after a while once you collect opt-ins and if you're not really sending emails like i know some people are like you know you have a list you know you should be sending it but you're not doing it because you don't know what to write and what happens is this list can get old and the old list uh, people maybe they change email addresses it may bounce uh, and you might get a higher complaint rate and what happens is that uh, say you have a list of like 2,000 people if you haven't sent them stuff in like a year you send it to them you know if you hit over 0.9 percent uh, complaint rate either as uh, reported as spam or a bounce rate uh, basically whoever your email provider is going to flag you right away and pretty much disable your list so uh, kind of as a list hygiene thing you want to keep it responsive and especially with providers that charge on a per contact basis, like say, you know, 20 bucks for 500 contacts like Clavio, uh, you want to make sure people that aren't opening your emails, you know, aren't on your list. So what I do is usually if someone doesn't open an email for me for six months uh, and they've been on my list for over six months during that period of time, I just delete them because one, they're not opening your emails for the past year. They're probably not going to do it again for the next six months. So you might as well keep your list clean and it boosts your response rates, your open rates and clicks like that too. Yeah, I you know I have mixed feelings about that too because uh, I've been thinking a lot about this and part of me is like, well, maybe they will one day open it and it's so cheap. Part of me wants to keep them on, but then the other part of me feels the same way you do. Where it's like, look, they're they're just wasting my money. Why not get rid of them? Yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is, you don't want to get flagged by the 0.9 percent bounce rate because what happened was that it happened to someone I was helping out with, and then uh, basically Mailchimp disabled his old list, which was probably like you know three four thousand people, and they're like, hey, like you know, even though they didn't re- respond to you to your email you gotta like reconfirm all of them because it was like a really old list too so kind of dangerous if it's too old 
I think it also depends on how you get the, your emails. And part of the reason I'm hesitant to delete people that aren't opening uh, my emails recently is because most of my emails are customers as opposed to, I mean, if, you know, if they're signing up, especially if you don't have a double opt-in, if they're signing up for something uh, to get a freebie, yeah, get rid of them. Like they're just draining you. But for me, it's like, oh, they're, they, they did purchase at one point, like maybe that next email they open, or maybe they're even reading. Cause I see a lot of emails I don't open, but I read the titles and I'm like, oh yeah, that company still exists. Hmm. Maybe I should eventually go there, but I won't open the email cause I don't care. Like I don't want to get, be marketed to per se. I, I'm mixed on this. If they're high quality emails, like from customers, you know, maybe it's worth that uh, 0.01 cents, just even if they have to delete your email, um, but if it's just random, you know, them signing up. Yeah, it was like not non-purchase people who have never opened your emails. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. All right, so next one, uh, analytics. This is uh, your Yeah, piece, so this is one of the things, and we did a whole episode about this, I, don't, I think a few months ago. Um, so there's lots of great content there. But some of the things that really stick out to me and have hit me hard this year is what is the 80-20 of your traffic sources? And so for me, like 80% plus of my traffic comes from paid ads, Google CPC, uh, organic Google, and then like, you know, Bing CPC and Bing uh, paid ads. So like by far, maybe 90% of my traffic comes from that. And so what I realized from that, and I was really resistant to this, like I wanted to get more traffic from, you know, Instagram and Pinterest and this and that. What I realized is, all right, it's time to double down on these. It's really hard to uh, do a lot of quality work on SEO. I mean, it can be done, but it's hard um, in the sense of white hat stuff. It's easy to, you know, you can do black hat stuff, but I don't, I don't recommend that. But with the AdWords and the paid ads, I'm like, okay, I can really work hard on this and I can make this, uh, you know, a better traffic source for me. So I spent, and I talked about this on a past episode, but I spent a month or a few weeks or whatever, really just looking at my PLAs, my AdWords and seeing what other keywords I can bid for, what other products I could add, how can I do it differently? And that was really helpful for me. So I, I recommend looking at your own and I know everyone's different. Some people, their biggest source of traffic is Pinterest. In, in which case it's like focus on the Pinterest, uh, see how you can improve it. Maybe, you know, maybe take a course in it or have hire someone to look over what you're doing you know does that make sense yeah exactly and one thing i realized is that like there used to be like a lot of seo versus ppc arguments but really like it's kind of like a different strategy depending on what you're looking for like ppc you get a lot more control and what you want to bid for what ads you want to show how you want to structure that ad where you want to send these people to how you want to target them what device blah 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 but like it costs more right but then like seo is like well you know if you have four years to invest in well you know you know, once once you're ranking for something, it's kind of there forever unless someone beats you, right? So it's like a kind of two sides to the same thing. And then I think there's a lot of cross data you can reference too. Like if you're you know ranking for certain keywords, you might as well get more real estate in the search engine with AdWords too, right? And yeah. you can use the AdWords data to tweak your SEO stuff if certain keywords are doing really well, but you're not ranking for them too. So there's a lot of like back and forth stuff that I see. Like kind of as I guess marketing gets more complicated, and you have more data that you can use to make better decisions, like. You know, it's always like an either or thing. And if, if you have something that works, you know, you can get more data to kind of double down on that too, like you're doing with AdWords or PLA. Yeah. And, uh, you know, another thing I want to add is maybe you have a tr uh, traffic source that isn't really bringing you a ton of numbers. For instance, for me, Instagram doesn't bring me a ton of 
people to my website, but I put almost no time in it. So for the amount of time I'm putting into Instagram, I'm actually getting a decent amount of people to my website from it. So that's a trigger to me. Hey, maybe I should focus a little bit more on Instagram, even though I'm only probably getting, let's say 200 people a month to my website, as opposed to my AdWords is getting, you know, three to 4,000, but I've spent about a hundred times more time on AdWords than I'd have on Instagram. So it's like, all right, you can see that and say, okay, let's spend a little bit more time on this traffic source. And it's always good to diversify a little bit in case, you know, one day your bids get more expensive or have different channels out there. Not all your eggs are in one basket too, essentially. Yeah. Already cool. So going off AdWords, uh, Webmaster Tools. Uh, So Webmaster Tools is kind of like, like you look at like AdWords, Webmaster Tools, even YouTube, like the really power, the power in all these things is linking them all together because you get all the data in each kind of platform uh, linked up too. So especially in Webmaster Tools, um, that's where you can find some search data now. Since analytics, all the data is encrypted. You actually get some data in Webmaster Tools in terms of what you're ranking for too, and at least on the Google side. I mean, there's other tools like Ahrefs uh, or OpenSide Explorer, whatever that can do that too. But Webmaster Tools kind of give you like a good starter version kind of where your keywords are ranking for so it's always good to audit like say uh you know you look at the past 12 months or three months what are you ranking for number one to three what's four to ten eleven to twelve and twenty one to fifty just so you have a high level view of where everything is and then the next quarter you do it again maybe your four to tens are bumped to one to three and everything uh, so you can kind of track uh, where you are and also can help you find key content ideas too uh, you know so they'll show you uh, they'll give you a keyword ranking in search analytics and webmaster tools and you'll get the click-through rate impressions and your ranking so something that you're getting a high click-through rate in but you're ranking like you know four to ten that's kind of low you can probably boost that up because it's a uh, you know people are already clicking into your site and even though you're not ranking that high you can probably just get more traffic by boosting that either through your on-site or you know do some link building or things like that too yeah i don't use webmaster tools a lot the only thing i really use it for is seeing uh my latest links like seeing who's linking to my website and it is fun to like do that and see oh wait this blog featured me you know maybe i should send them a free uh pair of shorts or something like that, or even just a message saying, Hey, thanks for the, uh, adding me, adding a link to my website in your blog post. I hope you like what we offer. Yeah. Well, this is a good, like maintenance tool. Like, you know, in case your stuff isn't getting indexed or something's wrong, like that's where all the errors kind of come into usually. Like you got like broken links, like your four or four errors that have a report there. That's pretty interesting. You need to do some housekeeping uh, over there too. Yeah. That actually yeah, is part of the reason we made the site mobile was uh, the webmaster tools was yelling at me like, Hey, your site's not mobile friendly. And I'm like, Oh, time to actually fix this. So that was very useful. Yeah, exactly. All right. So take a look at webmaster tools if you haven't yet. And if you, uh, do make sure it's linked up with your AdWords analytics and YouTube, uh, just cause you want to have them all talking to each other. If you want to do anything down the road too. All right. So next one, uh, order audit. So kind of get an idea of what your average order size is this year. Uh, your actual repeat purchase rate is that 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%? I mean, I don't know. You got to know that number to know where to improve it next year or see where you can kind of put more efforts in. And also your abandoned orders. Um, you know, I think every cart tells you who didn't finish checkout. It'd be good to take a look at the list of the whole year. Uh, you know, what products are getting abandoned? Is it something with the landing page, the product page that's missing? Uh, kind of kind of plug those holes because that's like a really quick win that you can start out with too. Yeah, you know, another thing, and I don't know if this would be considered an order audit or a customer audit, but it, to me, it's not just what percentage of your customers are repeat. Uh, what are your customers, like what, what kind of 
customers are like really spending a lot of money and what do those customers have in common? So maybe you can look at like, hey, uh, most of my customers, for instance, with the, the wallet store, Baller Leather, it's like, all right, most of my customers only buy one wallet. Well, okay, whatever. That's not really that helpful. But like last year, we like 5% of the people spent over $250. Well, what do they have in common? Are they buying for corporate events? Are they doing, you know, what are they doing that's similar? And then that can kind of help you for next year saying, all right, let's change our marketing up to only cater to corporate people or whatever it is. But that's been extremely helpful, obviously, for me with dance studios and dance teams. I'm like, oh, forget the little guys. Let's just go after the big whales. Yeah, it was like that one article we talked about a while ago. I think the whales, deers, rabbits, flies, or whatever, right? Like the type of customers you can hunt too. And it's like, you know, going through your orders and what the customer history is, you can actually help identify this by doing like a simple audit uh, like this too. So, and you know, if you have a big store, it might take a while, but it's really good data that you you should know. Uh, And just, and just like, maybe you have a grasp in your head what it's like to actually know the exact number would be really helpful. Uh, yeah. And then, I mean, you can even take those, the, those VIP customers, put like a custom audience on Facebook and, uh, do, there's all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah. You can you're do. saying then with special email lists, things like that is a lot of stuff. Uh, kind of like everything like we're talking about here is kind of like related to one another because it's all inner, inner But, uh, you know, it's not like just say only do this, only do that. Like usually you can find data here that can help you. Uh, elsewhere too. So speaking of order audit, the uh, next thing also to audit is your cost of acquisition. So how much did you spend this year to acquire new customers? So the way to find this out is you take your total sales and marketing spend, uh, whether you paid, you know, SEO guy, PPC budget, uh, remarketing ads, PLAs, and then you divide that by your total new orders in uh, 2015. And then you'll have a good idea of how much you spent. What do you mean by total new orders? So that means if they bought from you in 2014, um, they don't get added in there? Is that how I mean, it works? Well, you, you want to figure out this year, your new, how much you spent getting new customers? Because I guess repeat customers, it could throw off your acquisition cost a little bit because you already have them, right? So like, it's just to get a, it's just to get an idea of how much you're spending to get for each new customer to give you an idea of the other channels, how much. You can well, I, aren't your customers worth more? So like, maybe I let's just do a really simple example. Maybe I spent a dollar last year, um, and I only had one customer, and that customer bought a hundred dollars worth of stuff that year. So my cost of you know I spent one dollar per. Oh, I see what you're saying now. We spent one, 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 just to acquire them. We're not calculating lifetime value. That's like kind of separate. It was kind of like with order value, you're just spending exactly how much, like say how much can you spend on a max CPC for one customer where it's so profitable. Like you're basically trying to figure out that number across uh, different channels too. So it's not, I don't think it's like an exact actionable number, but it's good to know, you know, are you spending $10 to get a customer, $20, $50 or just to have an idea of like your total new customers this year compared to how much you spent too. Okay. And then, then another value would be, all right, so you know how much it costs for a new customer. What's the average lifetime value? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And then you can do that. You can compare that too. But the also thing too, is that uh, lifetime value is kind of tricky because it depends on channel. So if you look at like email marketing, you have those customers already, right? So like kind of the acquisition costs is part of something else. But then if you look at just lifetime value, it's going to be super high. So it tends to reward older campaigns, whereas like something new you're trying for like two months, maybe you just don't have enough data for it to extrapolate like a real, you know, lifetime value over a period of time too. So yeah, a lot of this stuff, I will say, at least to me, and I'm, I'm curious to hear your opinion, at least to me is like, it makes it so much easier if you're a, a multi-million dollar company. Like sometimes some of the stuff I'm like, you know what, let me just do it 
general idea, but I'm like, you can't get it's so so precise. I feel like. Yeah, it depends on your business. Like, I think it's good just to do it once a year. I mean, we're not like doing this every month, right? But like once a year, just to know where you, maybe maybe like once every half a year or every quarter to get an idea of how this is number is changing, too essentially. So. Alrighty, so next one, uh, account and expense audit. So you want to take this one? Sure, and I'm by no means an expert, but I feel like I've learned a lot in the last year on uh, the counting and expensing. And I guess the one thing I would say, first off, and we talked about this at the beginning of the episode, have a separate credit card for personal and business. It just makes so much easy, life, life just so much easier. And last year, this is from speaking from experience last year, we didn't really do that. Or was it last year? One of the years we didn't really do that. And we had to go through and delete lines and like, well, was this business? Was this personal? And when you buy from amazon.com, both for your business, it becomes just a pain. And um, so I want to make sure that I, I do things as legit as possible. But the other thing we did this year that I'm really happy with is we looked at our our expenses. Like, what are we spending money on? Because as I talked about earlier in the episode, we were doing pretty good revenue. I mean, January of this year, I think we made you know forty thousand plus dollars revenue, but we had some two thousand dollars profit, which is not great. So I I looked at these these numbers and I'm like, okay. Well, where's our money going? Because we have a lot of money coming in. Uh, where's it going? Um, one quick thing we found out right away is our merchant services was charging us way, way too much, like probably double what they should be. And that's a quick win. We got an extra 2.5% right off the bat. So for us, our top three expenses were paid advertising and then fabric to produce the clothing, obviously. And the last and by far the biggest one was employees. So with fabric, that was really easy. We were able to negotiate a slightly better rate because we were buying more fabric than we were the last time we negotiated. So we saved 10%, which was around $500. Then the next thing was paid ads. I did a good 80-20 analysis and said, okay, how can I lower this? And I've talked about this a hundred times now, but I figured out that I could do you know exact match negative keywords for PLAs and uh, some of my campaigns weren't doing as well as they should be. So I cut those and, you know, all that really simple stuff. But the big win for us was employees because for us personally, employees was 50% of our expense was employees. So for every dollar that came in for revenue, we had to give, you know, 50 cents of that uh, to an employee. So that was kind of a, a hard challenge for us was how can we get that down? And it wasn't the most intuitive thing right off the bat. But what I realized is, you know, we can improve the productivity of our employees easily 15, 20, 30%, you know, some number because the way we were doing things wasn't um, the best. Like we, we've never ran a company before. So what we were able to do was just go in and measure them. So we started measuring them. And this is an old, uh, this, I think it's from the effective executive. Uh, the, the name of the author is escaping me right now, but basically he says like whatever gets measured gets improved. So what we started doing is saying, all right, Yesterday, 50 items were cut and we, there was 10 man, hour, 10 man hours spent doing this. So we're averaging five items per man hour. That's not good. We need to get that up to seven. And what happened is just by it being in, when we put this board in the break room and by this being up in the break room, our employees would see it and, you know, we'd have a weekly meeting or so and be like, hey, we're not at where we should be. Like, you know, we should get there. And there was no incentive and we're going to add incentives later on, but there was no incentive at the time. And what happened is our we got more productive, which in turn lowers our cost of labor. So the the big point of this whole rant is that look at what are your top you know five expenses and focus on those. You can try to save money on paper or ink, and you know maybe you'll spend fifty dollars less or you'll save fifty dollars a month. 
but that's not going to be where the big money is. Next thing, let's move on to PPC and PLA. So I guess the big thing to audit is what's your return on ad spend? How much did you spend this year? How much did you get in sales? And what was your profitability of that, of those sales? And you know, what's your actual ROI from using PPC too? So I guess you did a big audit. You want to go into this a little bit? Yeah, I think we did a whole episode, I feel like, about this too. And I feel like I've talked a lot about this, but the big thing is look at each of your ad groups, each of your campaigns. Um, the other thing I'd highly recommend people doing is looking at how many pages per session they're getting. So maybe certain ad groups are getting extremely high pages per session, but they're not getting sales. You might not want to cut those, but if it's getting low sales and low pages per session, get rid of them. And on the flip side, if it's getting high pages per session and or high uh, amount of sales for an ad group, raise the bid if it makes sense. Uh, and you can do the search lost is, there's a category, um, you can add it as a column in your AdWords account and it'll show you your search lost is 50%, which 50%, which means that, hey, if you raise your bid, there's 50% more ads or times that your thing could show. And that's really important because you don't want to raise your bid if it says like, oh, your search lost is 1%. It's like, yeah, you don't need to raise it. You're already getting as much from that ad group as you can. So that's the big thing I'd say is look at that. Also, um, try to figure out what negative keywords are you need to add. So you go through, see what people are searching to get your ads to pop up, to get to your website. And if you see repeated things where people are searching for, let's say for me, uh, Capri pants. They're searching for that. It's like, oh, I don't want people searching for Capri pants. I want people searching for dance Capri pants. Then put a negative exact match of Capri pants or, you know, there's lots of examples of that. I, I don't know if this is too technical. Yeah, we had a previous episode that we talked about too. But I guess a little like housekeeping thing too is like if your campaigns, like your campaign and ad group names are really messy, you should probably rename them at the end of the year just so it's easier to kind of keep track of everything if you're you know, if you ever expand in the PLAs or AdWords even more too, because like if you have like 20 ad groups and you're naming them like, you know, April 2014 shoes, you're not going to remember what you did here. And it's going to be so messy that later on, if you even add more, it's just, it's just the whole, you know, kind of a shit show. Especially if you have like a third party come in trying to look at your campaigns, they have no idea what this is. And it's a lot of work uh, kind of from a housekeeping side too. It's funny. I, I didn't even think about that. Like I've tried to keep that as clean as possible from the beginning. Um, I have a background in like coding and in coding, it's a similar idea that if you, if it's messy and it's not readable, uh, your other people that work at the company will come in and be like, I have no idea or yourself. You'll, you'll come back a week later and be like, what was I trying to do here? So yeah, absolutely. Make sure it's, it's makes sense and it's clean. Yeah. And there's a couple articles on naming or structuring your, you know, ad groups and campaigns. If you just Google, I think search scientists had to get it. I think he does it by product displays type and then uh, certain like, you know, PLAs, AdWords, whatever. And he has like different groups that are, has a system of naming everything so that you can kind of keep track too. And it just makes it cleaner too. When you ever jump back in, like you don't have to spend time thinking about what you did, you know, a month ago, if you haven't looked at your AdWords uh, since then too. So, all right, so speaking of AdWords, let's go to the other side. Let's go into SEO. So your backlink profile, you know, how many new links did you get this year? Who's linking to you the most? Is there any site uh, that's kind of really big supporter of you? Who's sending you a lot of referral traffic? You want to get an idea of, you know, where this is coming from and whether there's any opportunity that uh, you can target for next year too. So how do you do this uh, for your store? 
Well, a couple different ways. Like when you're talking about this, the first thing that came to mind to me is actually my blog and looking at, all right, which of my blog pages are getting the most links. And I do a couple different things with that data. Um, since most of my blog is highlighting different dance studios, it's kind of cool to see which dance studios actually link uh, to my blog and which ones don't even care. Because uh, sometimes we'll interview a dance studio and they will not even share it with their their people. They won't do anything. And then other times we interview a dance studio and that article will get 500 hits or 1,000 hits or whatever. And one thing I do is obviously reward the dance studios that link um, in different ways. Maybe we profile them again. Make Maybe we help spread their, their content. Uh, but the other thing I've done is... And, you know, most of my pages on my actual website, I don't feel like get a ton of backlinks, though. I have looked at, like, for instance, there was a dance form that uh, had some links to our site. And I went on there and I tried to see if I could advertise with them. But that's a whole long story. So that's the main stuff. Yeah. But it's good to know, you know, what kind of links you're getting too. just, you know, once a quarter, half a year, every month just to see what's showing up, too. And also, uh, it'd be helpful to see what your competitors are ranking for too, right? So That's of, the bigger one for me. One of my honest. friends uh, showed me a Hrefs report. Basically, uh, you can just put in a website, and then it could show you which keywords a website is ranking for and which landing page it corresponds to. So then you can kind of reverse engineer. All right, you know, if he's ranking what rank six for this, and his on page isn't really you know that well, his content's only like you know two hundred words. I could probably beat him here. Things like that. So you can kind of get an idea of what the landscape is looking at uh, over time too. And I'd also, I mean, the big thing for me is what websites are linking to your competitors uh, and then try to get them to link to you as well. You know, maybe it's a, for instance, for me, maybe it's a site that specializes in reviewing dance clothing or it's a dance studio that recommends going to their, uh, you know, one of my competitors' websites to buy dance clothing. It's like, find out who's linking to your competitors and get links on them or similar sites. Yeah, and you'd be surprised at the amount of stuff on-site helps with. Like there was one store... I'm helping out with, we found a keyword that he was getting like, I think 30% click-through rate and he was ranked number like eight. And then we just fixed the on-site titles and he's like number three in like a week. And it's like, you'd be surprised how much on-site can actually help you uh, in this day and age too, just by some simple tweaks and kind of some, you know, kind of being disciplined with housekeeping too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all right then. So I guess that's it. Uh, that's it for kind of metrics audit. Certainly there's a lot of other things too at the end of the year, uh, you know, like things like your shipping cost, you know, what are people, where are people located, all that stuff. But, uh, you know, kind of we'll leave that to you. Kind of the big things again, uh, email list hygiene, Google Analytics, Webmaster Tools, do an order audit slash customer audit, uh, know your cost of acquisition and your, you know, average customer lifetime value, uh, accounting expense audit, what's making you money, what's saving you money, what's costing you a lot of money, uh, audit your PPC, PLAs, uh, know what your return on ad spend is, and your backlink profile slash onsite SEO. So I think do, doing those, at the end of the year, we'll kind of give you a good idea of, you know, where you've been this year, where you're going to go next year. And at least, you know, if there's not much actionable data, you at least know exactly where you stand and where you can improve uh, from here too. So I guess that's it for us this year. Uh, we'll catch you guys in January and Happy New Year. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, uh, just a quick reminder. If you're at all interested in improving your store, the I'm serious, the best ROI I've, I've ever spent is on the mastermind. And you can go to buildmyonlinestore.com. You'll see on the side banner, click on that and you can sign up for the mastermind. And we're only, you know, trying to have people join that actually have a website, uh, e-commerce store up and running and are actually looking to improve it. So go there, sign up. And I hope to talk to you guys next year.